0: This. this will work a little easier for me. And it'll keep me from running into all these flowers on the front here, too. So um, it's really good to be with you guys. Jason, I, the only complaint I have about Jason is he's extraordinarily selfish. <laughs> of you guys, I haven't seen you in a year and a half. I mean, some of you, I haven't been out here. Or I haven't seen you since I was here before Jason came. But he's just like, oh, no, things are terrible out there. You don't want to go there, Harden. You you know, just stay away, stay away. Um, it's just, it's a delight. And I don't have to run out afterwards to get back to Nelson. We're, uh, uh, we're, we're in a different era in Nelson. So I'm, I've got a, an associate pastor who you met a couple of weeks ago, Chris. Uh, he does an un- outstanding job. He's been in a wonderful addition, not only uh, in, in the church in Nelson, but I think to the entire team of pastors and and the, the health of this church. So uh, anyway, it's just really it's really good to be out here. Uh, in the in the meantime, I've gotten a little older, and so have you. Okay, so don't think this is all about me. It's about you. Um, I also got a little wiser, and so have you. Just you know, now I'm stroking you. Uh, it, God is good. We do it here. This is how we do. We say, God is good, and then you respond all, is, all the time. Okay? So I go, God is good. The and then I say, all the time. You guys catch on quick. <laughs> Let's do it again. God is good. All the time. All the time. God is good. Isn't that true? You know, I've got a year and a half worth of material that I've got to catch up with. So <laughs> I, I got an email from Deb's story. And I noticed that she didn't show up this morning, which I find kind of interesting. I could make it from Nelson. She could, too. Um, but Deb has been listening to my... I've been in this series since the beginning of the year on community and the church community. And she says, Arden, the only complaint I have is that she, she listens to my uh, sermons while she's on the treadmill working out. And she says, The problem is, is, is your sermons aren't long enough. I like to work out for 45 minutes and you never get to the end of my workout. That's all the encouragement the pastor needs. We need so little encouragement to go long. So uh, go long or go home is what I say. So I'm going to probably go home here in a little bit. Um, we've been in a series on community and uh, I've got to find the clicker. Here it is. And I gave Marsha the keys to the van. Otherwise, I'm going to be starting the van all the time going, It's just not working out there. Um, w- w- we've been in this, in this uh, series in Nelson about community. And I, what, the premise of the whole series of, of messages that I've been preaching and then uh, Chris did this weekend and is this morning uh, in Nelson is that we reach community meaning the world outside these walls, the community that we live in, the community that you live in, the neighbors that you live next to, the the people that you go shopping with, the people that you see uh, in your your workplace, uh, wherever it is that you find yourself around people, a community. We reach community through community. We reach community through community. And unless the community of God is healthy and understands this concept, is that we're in it together. We're doing this as a body. And we reach the community through the community. And it's not a chicken egg. It's a both and at the same time. The community has to be healthy so that we can healthily reach our community. Does that make sense? That we don't do this alone. Much like today when we dedicated Shalem, Um, Shalem is not being raised solely by his parents. He's being raised by the body that comes alongside and loves them and cares for them and uh, equips them and uh, encourages them in all the things which go on. And when we fail to live in that kind of community where we're in it together, And they're the example of a a small family, but whatever it is that you're in it with right now, whatever it is you're in, you're not alone. You may feel alone, but what we want to do is to build community so that we're in it together and doing the things which God has called us to do to love one another, to encourage one another, to bear one another's burdens. Go on and on and on throughout Scripture, which says we're in it together. And... We do not reach our world for Jesus if we're not in it together. We can complain we don't have good programs. We can complain that we don't have a good evangelist. We We can make all the excuses in the world. I guarantee you, we live in community and we start reaching our community. We are as effective at reaching our community as we are at being the body of Christ. We're uh, talking about small is beautiful. Where do I go here? There we go. We're going to celebrate small this morning, okay? Now, that's my dining room. Um, I live in Nelson. It's expensive there, so this is all we can afford. We had friends over the other night, and this is they're eating. I'm just kidding. No, this is not. I want to celebrate small. Uh, Do you realize the average home uh, size has... Almost, almost tripled since the 1950s. Most families were raised in under 1,000 square feet in the 1950s. A 1,000 square foot home was considered an adequate home. And there were bigger families back then, too. Uh, today, in today's day and age, closer to 25, 2,600 square feet is the average home. As our families have gotten smaller, our houses have gotten Bigger. That, does that make, do you guys concur with that? Maybe Balfour, I, you guys are different out here. Maybe your houses are small like this, okay? Well, what we're going to do, is I want to talk about how small is beautiful. We, one of the effects of our societal push, the cultural push for bigger, is that we lose a sense of connectedness with our family. Think of it. Our families have shrunk, and so instead of living closely in a small space, what we're doing is we're texting each other from the opposite ends of the house, or sometimes across the table. You you laugh. You don't have teenagers. (laughs) We have bought into this idea that bigger is better, and I... I, uh, I hesitate to jump on that bandwagon because the problem with bigger is better is that's a cultural norm, not a biblical norm. It's a cultural value, not a biblical value. Around here, what we say um, in our... Uh, go ahead and do the next slide. Um, this, is, this is our, our, our uh, mission statement as a church. Now, some of you may not be as familiar with the Transforming Lives, but I'm going to explain it a little bit. Uh, we, we talk about that our mission as an evangelical covenant church in the Kootenays, nelson Balfour Junction together, we're about loving Jesus. We're about falling in love with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In that, we turn and understand that, that our faith is others-centric. Yes, it's our faith and it's a personal faith, but it's also about how we relate to others. So we love others. We love people. We, we want people to be loved. Uh, anybody here not want to be loved? Anybody? Is there a soul in this room that does not long to be loved? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise a hand if you're feeling loved, because I, I would imagine there are some of you in this room that aren't maybe feeling loved. but we long to belong to something and to be loved. And in this loving of Jesus, and we learn that it's others centric, and we start loving on each other, guess what happens? You and I are changed. We are transformed. So, this idea of loving Jesus, loving people, transforming lives, it's great. And you know what we need? We need a, a massive program to show us how to do that, right? See. Jason and Jesse and Chris and I have gotten around. we brainstorm brainstormed over and over and over again, and we want to bring in a consultant and have this massive weekend rah-rah thing to teach us how to love Jesus, love people, and be transformed. And it can happen in a short 48 hours for only $49.95 plus tax. It's going to be big. And I'm just, I'm lying up the wazoo here, folks. I'm not telling you the truth. It doesn't happen in big. It happens in small. It happens small. Small is where it's at. And I believe that Jesus taught us this by focusing on the need and the hunger and the hurt. And not on the big. Yeah, certainly he spoke to 5,000 people, but he was Jesus. And they were hungry. See, I believe that in community, um, we pay attention to the small stuff. And the big stuff takes care of itself. We focus on the small stuff, and the big stuff will take care of itself. I, when I was, uh, uh, before kids, BK, you know how that was, guys, You used to be able to have a hobby. And uh, one of the things which I was really wanting to do was to learn how to fly, an airplane And Marsh's cousin was newly retired from the Air Force as a fighter pilot, but he didn't let me learn how to fly a fighter jet. He uh, instead got his, uh, uh, his license to be able to teach people how to fly small Cessnas. And so I decided to take a couple of lessons with him. He said he'd, he needed the experience, which is not a good thing to hear from a from a. <laughs> flying lessons yeah I just I don't really know how to teach this size of an airplane which would be a guinea pig like golly I don't know I'm not so sure about that but anyway one of the things that he taught me he said this in flying an airplane it's all about the small stuff before you take off on a flight now do we have any pilots here anybody's ever flown a plane Um, I had a joke but I won't you have you've flown you've got a pilot's license okay but you've flown a plane (laughs) Okay, yeah, that's really scary, but anyway. <laughs> he's, what he says, you pay attention to the small stuff. He says, you pay attention to that pre-flight manual. You go through the checklist. Not because, not because you know somebody's going to test you on it, because that's what's going to keep you safe. That's what's going to get you up in the sky, and that's what's going to get you down safely. He says, you know what? I can teach a three-year-old how to land an airplane. He said, in fact, anybody can land an airplane. Landing it safely <laughs> takes skill. <laughs> and he says, if you pay attention to the small stuff, when you have to make a big decision, and when there will be some big decisions in your life, but you take, you take care of the small decisions, you watch after the, the details, and guess what? The, uh, the big stuff kind of takes care of itself. And one of the, I just remember that, and that's been something that I have always remembered. He, you know, he says, when you're up in the sky, everything is conspiring against you. And boy, does that feel like the way it is sometimes in life. Everything's conspiring against you, whether it's mechanics of the airplane, whether it's the, the temperature outside, whether it's gravity. It's all conspiring against you, but he says you pay attention to the little stuff. You watch your gauges. You watch your fuel. You, you you make minor adjustments towards your destination. And you will get home and get down safely. The Apostle Paul writes this. This is in Philippians, earlier in Philippians. Um, he describes what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I think this is one of the best descriptions of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the, for the day of Christ. Now, what Paul's referring to is not some future date, but now. The kingdom come now. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes to Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. However we describe it, whatever we want to use to describe what it means to be a follower of Jesus, we all understand that what we are presently is never our destination, but we are on a journey. Growth, maturity, being fruitful, um, uh, filled with the fruit of righteousness. It comes through Jesus Christ, but it's little things. We, we know we have to pay attention to small things in our, in our uh, life. There's just a bunch of things which you guys know about. And sometimes I believe that we as Christians, we feel overwhelmed. Go ahead and hit the next slide. And, and there's all this stuff. You know, We know we should pray. We know we should read the Bible. We know we need to gather together for support and encouragement. We know that we need to worship uh, generosity is huge. Looking out for the needs of others. All these things that you see behind me are little things. But taken over in one big gulp, sometimes feel overwhelming. and We feel like we're just, oh, I can't do all this. But here's the problem as I see it, is that oftentimes because we get overwhelmed with so much that we end up, don't, uh, we end up not concentrating on anything. But we just give up. We just say it's just too much. Um, instead of growth and making small, steady steps towards our, towards our destination, we settle for a substandard faith, uh, something that is more about stature and that people know I'm a Christian rather than they see that I'm a Christian. People know that I go to church rather than see the difference that being together in worship is. And, you know, we all are busy. We all have priorities. Um, and we all have problems that don't magically go away. Um, the, the difficulty is, is in that if we don't pay attention to the small stuff, many of these spiritual disciplines, our hearts can get hard. And uh, people can start irritating me again. I, oh, did I say that? Me? I'm sorry. These things start coming back. There's two... Uh, there's actually three, and I thought of a third one after I, I did this. But they're kind of two uh, different camps, extremes, that I see people who, uh, when they respond, uh, by not paying attention to the small stuff, the camps that they go into, I call it legalism or impressionism. Uh, legalism, we know what that is. That's the faith of uh, what to do and what not to do. Good Christians do what? Don't, please don't answer me on that question. That's hypothetical or it's rhetorical. You know, we know what good Christians do, we know how good Christians dress, we know where good Christians go, and we know where they don't go. We know what it means to to live by the rules because we need rules for life. And when we're not paying attention to the small stuff, it's so much easier to come up with rules than it is to live by grace and to extend grace, to live generously and accept God's generosity. Um See, I don't have to to actually get to know you to decide if you're a Christian or not when I'm a legalist. I can just look at your life and tell. When I was a kid, I grew up in a pretty legalistic church. And I remember the conversation I had about after church when all the guys who went outside and smoked. Remember that? You guys don't remember, that, I'm sure. <laughs> if there's any guys that go outside and smoke, please forgive me. It's, a, it's. I'm not trying to offend anybody here. But what I found was, was this conversation that we would have in the car afterwards, you know, and uh, you know, how can they be a Christian? They smoke. I remember the first time my youth leader, who after I became a Christian took me under his wing, and we had a conversation about alcohol. And you know what he said? He says. I have no problem with people drinking. I just remember the shock. I can still remember the Sunday school room I was sitting in going, What? I thought you were my ally of being able to tell all my friends they're going to hell. <laughs> Instead, what he was able to do is say, You know, no, you now no, drunkenness is wrong. That's sinful. Jesus drunk, drank wine. Where's the legalism that says that is wrong? Now, is it... Is it is it healthy? No. But Paul, the Apostle Paul says, everything is acceptable, but not everything is beneficial. Where's the grace? I, I, I can still remember this conversation which went from legalism to grace because of a man who was grace-filled. And I go, praise the Lord he was graceful to me because as a snotty-nosed 17-year-old know-it-all kid how easily we would have been able to slip into legalism. Those are defining moments, folks, but it's little things. The other side of this is Impressionism, where we go overboard on trying to prove how spiritual we are. And all the affectations of of that perfect faith, that perfect look, that perfect hair that falls across our head, because that's what a good Christian looks like. That's, look at me, look how good my life is, and and, uh, you know what? Nah. I long and I pray to gather people who are like me, who are broken and weak, who want to talk about grace, How do we do this? We do it, number one, together. But we take a journey. We start a journey together and one step at a time. How do we build buildings that last? We don't erect them in a day. We take time to plan and we take time to put a stick by stick, a brick by brick. Small decisions, small actions that will make lasting changes in your life. In Philippians 2, if you have that up there, Is there any encouragement from being belonging to Christ? Any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and sympathetic? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one heart, one purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't live to make a good impression on others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't think about your own affairs. Don't don't Think about your own affairs. Now, how many of you are successful at that? Like me? We're constantly thinking about our own affairs, aren't we? How do we not think? This is my question to Paul. Oh, easy for you to say, Mr. Paul Apostle, encounter Christ and go blind. (laughs) Where's my shining moment where I... Not think about my own affairs. How? In community. Knowing one another. Preoccupy your mind with others. Serving, loving, caring. Being in each other's homes. Bringing them over. Asking them, how are you doing? Rather than waiting for them to stop talking so I can tell them how I'm doing. Oh, you, you, you connect with that? <laughs> we had some friends over last week, and in the conversation, she had gone out with some friends after work, and uh, after they got done, one of her friends from work, and not a Christian, she's a Christian, and this friend said to her friend, she said, you know, you're the only religious person I know that doesn't scare me. (laughs) I laughed. But then I go, what a great mantra. Put the next slide up. Well, that wasn't what I was thinking about. Maybe do the next one. Is it up there? Well, okay. Okay. I had a big circle with a slash through it and it says, no scary Christians allowed. Okay, it was funnier when the slide was up there. (laughs) No scary Christians allowed in this church. Only broken people who are willing to say, I am not saved by my legalism, I am not saved by the impression I'm making, I am saved by grace and grace alone. That's the only thing that saves us. You cannot read the Bible without seeing that we are broken, broken people in need of a Savior. And that's exactly what God knew and did for us. And through Jesus Christ, we are saved by grace. But it doesn't mean we sit back on our haunches and go, that's cool. We start doing. We start doing little things. There's a a church in California, and I hope this one comes up then again, maybe not. Is there nothing? Is the bells there? Oh, nothing? Okay, we're dead in the water. All right, here's what it is. If you can remember this acrostic, B-E-L-L-S, B-E-L-L-S, bells, okay? It's an acrostic, and I want to go through these really quick. Um, This church has chosen to do small things for one another, and the small things they do are this. Number one is they bless. If you want to write it down, you can, or Uh, If you want to just even ask me afterwards, I'll give it to you. They bless one another and others. In other words, they focus not on their needs, but they say, every day I want to bless somebody. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's an email. Maybe it's uh, just walk into the cubicle next to you or to your coworker or to the, the person who lives next door and drop them off a plate of cookies. Whatever it is, find some way to take the focus off of yourself and put it on the other person. Just bless them. By the way, I, I think you guys do that well in this church. Okay? I mean, from what I know of you, there it is, bells. Okay. I don't know where that came from. All right. Put the next one, bless. Okay? Bless, bless others. I'm not going to tell you what to do. You guys know how to do this. Okay? You do. But you've got to do it. And it's little. We're not talking about you know, going over there with a tract. Please, please don't do that. Go over to your neighbor because you like your neighbor. Let God do his work. Don't do God's work. Do your work. Second one is eat. Oh, it's already up there. Great. Second one is eat. Uh, in their community in California, and and this is great, and I mean, you have to adapt it to what works for you. They make an effort to eat together three times a week with someone either in their church or make an effort to have somebody in their home. So it could be as easy as, and and they do in their small groups, they say, we have lost the art of hospitality eating around a table, having a conversation, getting to know one another, that casual, comfortable conversation around a table. But they say we also work to, to call somebody for coffee, to uh, have a lunch with someone that you need to connect with. And this doesn't have to be just with church people. It can be with anybody, but maybe it needs to be. But, but make it a regular thing, but three times a week do that. The other thing they, uh, they do, and this is a really tough one for Christians, listen, okay? And I don't mean this really to be funny, but we don't listen very well we have lost the art of listening and hearing what the other person is saying um, you know what it's like <laughs> for those of you who are parents did you ever have this moment where your kid and you're they're talking you like and they take your face in their hands and they turn you to them you ever had that cuz i have I have an 11-year-old girl who, my goodness, it doesn't take a quarter. A nickel is fine, and it's just nonstop. <laughs> but when she needs me to listen, doesn't do this so much anymore, but there's this gentle reminder, pay attention to me. Oh, what a different place this world would be if we learned to listen. The next one is learned. Uh, we need to be in God's Word. I don't need to say much about that. What are you doing for Easter this year? It's coming up. We come up to Lent here in a couple weeks. Forty days to prepare for that most holy of days. For forty days, what are you going to do? Which, which passage are you going to read? What are you going to pray, God, show me? What are you learning? And then the, third, the last one is sent, and I love this one. Um, Sharing the Word of God is everybody's vocation. I don't know what you do, if you, what you work, where you work, what your job is, maybe you're retired, but whatever it is that you spend your day doing is your vocation. Have you dedicated it to God? Have you seen, if you're a carpenter, how as you nail and nail, as you, as you uh, create something, as you raise a child, that you are about God's work. You are sent. You're sent. You are a sent person. In other words, it isn't just the pastors and the church workers and those holier than now uh, people who just seem to always have the right word who are sent into this world to save or to, to bring the gospel, the good news of Jesus. It's you. Maybe you're, a school, maybe you're in school. How do you see your vocation as being a part of your sentness? We um, we major in the minors in church. A lot of times, that's okay. That's we're imperfect people. But what we need to do is be reminded that we are. If you can put the last slide up there, that we're in it together. We reach. Our world. We reach our community in community. I'm so glad and so blessed that we do this together as three sites. Um, Other than the fact of his selfishness, Jason's not a bad guy. (laughs) No problem. Anytime I can compliment you like that, I will. But here's what I want you guys to be assured of, is that we as pastors pray about this all the time. How do we do this together? But you also need to know that we we can't do it all. We want to teach. We want to equip. We want to uh, help you to reach your world for our Savior. But if your only mode of that is saying, well, if I can just get him to church, oh my gosh. No, you are the body of Christ present in their lives. But if you don't see that, then it does put a big load on the shoulders of those of us who are left to talk to your friends because you don't know how to be Christ in their lives. But you don't do it by big things. You do it by small things. Do you love them? Do you listen? How do you bless them? We're in it together. Let's pray. Jesus, our Savior, we thank you for coming and, and extending grace to us. And now, God, as we conclude this service, I pray your blessing upon this place. May they know your love, but may they also take small steps to bless others, to listen to eat together, to share a meal, and to, to just be present in the lives of those who you bring into our lives, whatever our vocation and, and, and place in life is, so that others may see because not of our perfection, not because of our legalism, not because we're such super Christians, but because we are broken people who are so, so saved by grace. And that you have transformed us and continue to transform us. Bless this day, bless this place. May your word go out from here, not through the words, but through our actions, through our attitudes, through the way in which we see the world which you've placed us in. I pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.